Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us this week as we try to answer some more of your questions. And that's all we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is study the Bible together with you. Uh, let you direct the program. We've gotten a number of questions over the weeks. Uh, we're always a little bit behind because we get so many questions and we have to add the closed captioning and other things. So it'll be a few weeks before we get yours on, but uh, we do want to know what you want us to talk about. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. If it's a direct question about the Bible, what's this verse mean or where can I find this? We'll be happy to answer that quickly. Or if you've got a life question, a current event question, you wonder what's the Bible principle on that? How does the Bible apply to today's world? We'll try to find you an answer to that. In fact, that's my first question is like that. So we'll give you an answer to that in just a moment. But uh, that's what we do. So give us a call and tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Let me introduce Toby Levering. He's back this week. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. Toby's here and ready to go. And uh, we're going to try to answer as many as we can. But we always start with one for our viewing audience. And here's yours today. And Samson's riddle, where was the honey? Of course, you have to know what the riddle was, but uh, uh, or you might be able to find it real quick if you get your Bible out and start searching. But we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Uh, see where the honey was. All right, here's the question I referred to. A viewer wants to know uh, if a woman is limited in leadership in the church, uh, well, could a woman be president? Well, we do talk sometimes about the uh, leadership roles in the church and. Uh, God does limit leadership roles, elders and deacons, uh, to that of males. Uh, and there's some other limitations in worship service and things like that. Uh, so we've discussed that, and this viewers heard that and thought, well, if you're limiting women in the church, uh, how about in the world? Well, I see no problem with a woman being president from a biblical standard. The uh, Bible just doesn't say anything about that. What the Bible does talk about is the home, and it says man is the head of the home, and I know that's not politically correct today, but it's what the Bible says, and uh, Bible plans work, uh, work pretty well. Uh, maybe we ought to go back to a little bit more of that. Uh, but in the home, the man is the head of the house. Man and woman submit to each other and honor each other and love and respect each other, and that's the way the home works best. Uh, the church also, everybody submits one to another, but there is male leadership in the church, uh, and women are not uh, are restricted from that. Uh, so we have male spiritual leadership. But when it comes to government, the Bible doesn't say a thing about it. Uh, it just says obey the government, submit to them, and whoever we elect is, uh, and we're blessed in this country to be able to elect our leaders. Uh, a lot of countries and Christians throughout the ages who had no say in who their leaders were. Uh, but we're blessed to be able to elect them and uh, we obey them and submit to them once we have. Uh, but it doesn't say anything about who's qualified. That's not a biblical topic. 
legally, politically. Uh, sure, sure, a woman could be president, and uh, we probably will have one someday, but got nothing to do with the Bible. Uh, let's see. No, I didn't have a scripture on that. I got okay. thinking maybe I was going to show a scripture, but right. I didn't. So okay. I think it's your turn. All right. The next question a viewer asked, kind of a tough question. Uh, she says, the Bible promises we will receive whatever we ask for if we pray in faith. I prayed that my husband wouldn't die, but he still died. Is my faith too small? Well, uh, it, it is impossible to really know for me or for anyone else that matter, a measure of someone's faith. But as you present the question, I don't, uh, you know, of course, there's a lot of variables that I don't know, but I would not say that it was something of your faith being too small. Uh, we have to also keep in mind that there are uh, natural processes of life. When someone gets too sick or someone's in an accident or something like that. Um, and for human beings, death is, you know, it seems like the, the end, the, the, the end of the story, the final chapter. Um, but from God's perspective, it, it's not. It's not the end. It's just a transition to something better, to something greater. And especially for the person who's in Christ, uh, that is uh, the hope of glory. It, it changes. Uh, and in a, if a person was suffering, if a person was bedridden, if a person was uh, really, uh, you know, uh, in a bad way physically here on earth, uh, transitioning to death uh, and into God's arms where they can be cared for and not feel any more pain or suffering, oh, that's not such a bad thing. Uh, I don't think it was all a measure of your faith, um, and some people will say that, but <clears throat> every human being on planet Earth is going to die at some point, and you know, we just don't know when or where that will, is going to be, and that decision uh, is not going to, in my opinion, be swayed uh, by, by our prayers or how good we are or how bad we are. I think there's just, uh, the scriptures say it's appointed every uh, person uh, time to die once and after that to face the judgment. So uh, your question made me think of a story from John chapter 11 and the story of Lazarus. And Lazarus uh, had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus died and Jesus was very close by. And they had sent for Jesus while, while Lazarus was still alive, but he didn't come. He was only, scripture says, about two miles away, not, not very far away at all. He could have gotten there, but, but he didn't. He delayed and, and Lazarus died. By the time he got there, there was a funeral going on and well, Martha was very concerned. And uh, Jesus said to her, this is verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then a great question, do you believe this? See, Jesus was trying to point her that, that there was something bigger uh, than Lazarus's life. Now, of course, in that direct set of circumstances, Jesus brought Lazarus back, but for a different purpose. But he was saying here, you understand that when, when Lazarus dies, I'm, I'm the resurrection and the life. And so that's the message I want to leave to you, that even though your perspective and our perspective on death is very limited, uh, that not everyone who dies, <coughs> dies. And if he was in Christ, he's, uh, he's no longer suffering any longer. So I hope that's comforting to you. And uh, without all the circumstances, I can't know <laughs> uh, all the, so. Alrighty, thank you, Toby. Uh, you ask an interesting question about child rearing. Uh, if you make your child go to church, will he quit going when he leaves home? 
you make your kid go to church, will he quit going when he leaves home? Uh, my answer is quite possibly. Uh, children have free will. Uh, <clears throat> all of us have free will. At certain children don't, but it, <laughs> they have it, but we restrict it uh, until they're old enough. And once they leave home or they're no longer under their parents' uh, roof, they do have freedom to choose. And sometimes they choose well, and sometimes they choose really foolishly, uh, but they get that choice. That's the way the world works. So it's quite possible that you do everything right. A child will pick the wrong way and uh, do the wrong thing. But uh, that's not to say you shouldn't make your child go to church. I imagine you make your child brush his teeth. I imagine you make your child pick up his plate and take it to the sink when they're done eating and clean their room and uh, I'm sure you make them go to school uh, even though they may love school there's a few days when they <laughs> say I don't want to go today and you make them anyway uh, because you know it's good for them and same thing with church going to church is good for a kid to learn the Bible stories and uh, to, to learn the great truths of the Bible it's a great upbringing. Now I would say this more of a determinant of what your child does when they get their own choice uh, than whether you made them go to church or not is your own attitude about church, is how you see church and what Jesus means in your life. If church is just a place to go that you go because it's a place to be seen or social something or you think you've got to go to please God and the children will spot that. If you'll say, come on Junior, we gotta go to church. It's time to go, even if we don't want to, we got to go. And then on the way home, you roast the preacher and talk about how bad he was uh, and talk about old sister so-and-so and how she gets on your nerves. And if, you, if that's how your kid sees you, uh, yep, when they get on their own and get out of the home, they're not going to go to church. Uh, they've been taught that it's not anything good. So I think that's the main determinant, uh, probably. Uh, but, like I said, you can do everything perfectly right and children still make the wrong choices sometime. Uh, so I'd advocate making your child go to church. Uh, good for them. They'll learn a great, great deal, especially if you get a good Sunday school program uh, that teaches them the Bible stories. Uh, be good for them. So they get to choose when they, the time comes. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, that, that parent example is so important, and children do what they see being done. Uh, and so, you know, one good thing is set the right example and have the right attitude about your church involvement and your participation. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just reminded a number of years ago we had a bus program uh, at church. A lot of pro uh, churches did. And we'd go to the neighborhood and recruit children, and a lot of parents would send their kid to church. Okay. Uh, be happy to put them on the bus and let them go to church for a couple of hours. Uh, I would say overall percentage-wise very few of those kids uh, became churchgoers or devoted their life to Christianity because they saw it wasn't important to mom and dad. Uh, mom and dad would rather stay home and watch the football game or whatever. And it wasn't important to them. They learned it's not very important. So. Uh, take your child to church. Don't make them go to church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, take them and uh, show them that it's a good thing. All right, a uh, good way to study the Bible. That's what we want to talk about next. We've, we answer a few questions each week, but there's so many things in the Bible that uh, are good for us to know uh, that we advocate home Bible study on this program. And we've got some free materials we'll send to you in the mail. 
and let you study the Bible at your own pace with your own Bible in your own home, and we won't bother you in any way. Uh, some people are afraid to sign up for something like this because they think, well, I'll get on a mailing list and they'll start asking me for money and that won't happen at Know Your Bible, guaranteed. We send you the Bible studies, and if you want to complete them, fine. If you want to stop uh, studying that way, that's fine, too. Uh, we leave it up to you. We think it's a great thing to do, and we hope you know a lot more about your Bible after watching Know Your Bible and then studying some of our courses. Uh, but the first one's on the screen now. There's eight lessons in it. Good overview of the Bible, good basic uh, biblical teaching, and we're happy to send that out to you absolutely free of charge. And then once we get through that, uh, we've got more advanced courses that you can study the Bible for a long time uh, with Know Your Bible study materials. So give us a call or log on to the website, tell us you'd like that course, and we'll get it started for you. Okay. A uh, viewer asked the question about fasting, mm -hmm. and they asked this, uh, should we fast for God, and for how long? Uh, well, my answer to that question is, is a personal decision. Uh, there's nothing wrong with fasting. Uh, but we don't have any specific command in the New Testament that says we must. There are many examples of Christians in the early church doing it, uh, and uh, fasting is a part of worship, and fasting is a part of their uh, general <coughs> spiritual life. Now, Jesus did say that when you do it, uh, you got to follow some <coughs> guidelines and don't let it get into just doing it uh, for... Uh, uh, showing how religious you are or spiritual or good or anything like that. Um, but if you don't know, there may be some people here watching who don't understand this idea of fasting. Fasting is simply uh, giving up a, a usually food, but it can be fasting of other things, maybe fasting from technology or fasting from television, giving up something to pursue and focus on spiritual uh, things and focus on quiet time or something like that. Um, and so if you choose to do that, that's fine, but it's not nowhere in there that it's required. We know that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then one of the biggest understatements of Scripture, it says after that he was hungry. Uh, so <laughs> it was certainly something that uh, is, was true in that situation. We know that the early church practiced it, as I said, Acts chapter 13, verse 2, uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. It was a, just part of something that they did. Um, <clears throat> How long do you fast? Well, that's, again, an individual decision. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> um, but uh, some folks may choose to fast for a few hours or to miss a meal um, or some, uh, you know, technically we all kind of fast every day when we go to sleep, you know, after we have dinner, if we don't eat anything and we go to sleep, the first meal of the day is breakfast or break fast. So, uh, but that's usually not for spiritual reasons. Um, the principles that Jesus gave, and these we're going to look at on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so it is a personal decision, but if you decide to do it as, a, as a, an encouragement to your faith or as a specific time of devotion, uh, don't do it for show. 
Uh, don't do it because everyone else is doing it. And, uh, you know, keep it private between you and the Lord. And uh, that's the best kind of fasting if you choose to practice. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Viewer wants to know about uh, environmentalism probably here. Where does it say we should be good stewards of the earth? Where does it say we should be good stewards of the earth? And my answer may shock you, but the Bible doesn't really say that. Uh, the Bible says, uses some other words uh, that modern day environmentalists probably don't like too well actually. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 28 both talk about the creation of man. And what God says is, let's make man in our image and let's, well, let's just read it, make sure we get it exactly right here. Verse 26, let's make man in our image, <coughs> excuse me, in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. We are told to, man was made to rule over the earth. And verse 28 says almost the same thing except uses a different word. He says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Uh, the earth was given to man, we have dominion over it. We're supposed to rule it and subdue it. Now, does that mean I think we ought to ruin it and destroy it? No, I think we ought to be good stewards of what we've been given. We ought to take care of things. Uh, we shouldn't litter. We, uh, all that. I'm a conservationist in a lot of ways, but I also will hunt animals and, uh, and do things like that because I have rule over them. I have dominion over the earth. Uh, and modern day environmentalists don't like that. Uh, because they've gone beyond being good stewards, uh, many people today have gone to where they worship the earth. Uh, they teach us to do things that are just ridiculous, to worship the earth and the earth and the creatures on it are more important than man. Uh, and that's not what the Bible teaches. Man has dominion over the earth. The Bible also teaches the earth will burn, be burned up. Uh, we're not going to save it. Uh, nothing we can do is going to preserve this earth <clears throat> because when God's ready and when that day comes, 2 Peter 3 says, He's going to burn it up. It's going away. So uh, modern day environmentalism is not backed up by the Bible. And it's become a very Christian thing to do in a lot of churches uh, who have made stewardship of the earth more important than uh, looking for lost souls and doing what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, the earth is a temporary place. This earth is not our home. Uh, we're just passing through. So yeah, we ought to be good to it and take care of it and uh, be good stewards in many ways, but we're not here to worship the earth. Yeah, it's uh, in Romans chapter 1, there at the end of, toward the end of the chapter, Paul talks about, you know, when people get their thinking all twisted, they worship and serve created things yep. rather than the Creator. Yep. And I agree with you. I think we ought to be good conservationists and uh, we ought to not over pollute it and things like that. Um, and you just got to be careful of not, you know, <laughs> worrying about things that are created and not giving, paying any attention to the Creator. Because yep. uh, I think at the end of time in that day, you know, some people are going to stand back as He burns it up and they're going to go, what are you doing? You know. Yeah. I, I, I recycled all my cans. <laughs> Good answer. But it's still going away. All right, let me take time and invite you to visit a Church of Christ mm -hmm. near you. That's who keeps us on the air. Uh, this program is produced by Churches of Christ and supported by Churches of Christ around our viewing areas. 
So we like to mention a few each week and uh, thank them for their support. Uh, today I'm going to talk about the church out in Great Bend, Kansas. A uh, fine group of folks out there. Chuck Marshall is the minister there. I know you'd enjoy hearing him preach the gospel. Uh, worship with them at uh, 9.50 on Sunday mornings or class at 9 if you're looking for some classes for your children to learn those Sunday school stories we were talking about. be a great place to do it. Uh, you'll find a, folk, <coughs> a group of folks who think and study about the Bible a lot like we do on this program uh, and they believe in this program and help keep us on the air and we appreciate that. Of course uh, anywhere you live in the viewing area uh, probably a Church of Christ near you and uh, drop in and visit them sometime. Tell them thank you for providing this program for you. All right, Toby, what you yeah, got? I have an authorship question. A viewer asks, which John <coughs> wrote Revelation? Well, the answer to that is John the Apostle uh, wrote Revelation. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And uh, John uh, is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. And uh, his writing style, very similar, a lot of similar pictures and symbols that he used in his vision uh, that he had on the island of Patmos. And as he wrote that down, that's the book of Revelation. Uh, let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 together. And there it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God <coughs> gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. And, of course, John is a, as common a name then as it is now. And, of course, there are a couple of different Johns even in Scripture. John the Baptist is one that comes to mind. Uh, but we know it was John the Apostle, the one uh, called by Jesus, uh, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, and uh, we can know that not only from Scripture itself, uh, but from early church history and uh, church tradition and several witnesses uh, in addition, as I said, to his writing style, he uses things like calling Jesus the Word and the Lamb and a witness uh, that, you know, can tell us very, uh, w with uh, very close accuracy that John the Apostle was the writer not only of the Gospel of John, but also the book of Revelation. So, uh, it's a good question and I understand the confusion. Sometimes it's easy to, a lot, a lot of easy, there. there are. <laughs> and also wrote uh, the first, second, third John. So. Well, um. speaking of Second John, <laughs> that's the answer to my next question. Uh, if you wants to know what verse tells about the three ways we can be tempted, some of our viewers may be thinking, "Man, you got to be kidding!" There's only three ways we can be tempted. Uh, there's three million ways we can be tempted. But this viewer is right. I think there is a verse that says that, and I think it describes the three major ways. We can be tempted. It happens to be in uh, 1 John, actually, chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. John says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And before this, he said, Don't love the world. And then he says, Look at that. For all that is in the world, this is the only thing the world has to offer. These are the three ways you can be tempted. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those aren't of the Father, they're of the world. I think that's the verse the viewer is re referring to, and that's the way I've always looked at this verse, is John is saying there's three ways you can be tempted, three biggies that Satan uses. These are his only three plays. It's get you to lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. 
flesh, it, it <coughs> looks like it would taste good or feel good or make you feel good. Uh, the old bumper sticker, if it feels good, do it. That's straight from Satan, <laughs> lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes, if it, you look at it and it appeals to you. Uh, covetousness. You'd like to have that because it's so pretty or it, it just appeals to you that way. Lust of the eyes and then the pride of life is this will make me more important. This will make me like God is what Satan used on Eve. In fact the best way to illustrate that verse is that Satan used that, those three on Eve in the garden and he used them on Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, the fruit, he told her, that tastes good. That's lust of the flesh. He told her it looks good. It's a pretty thing. It appeals to you. That's lust of the eyes. And he said, it'll make you like God. You'll be as good as God if you eat that. That's pride of life. So, viewers right. Three things, three ways we can be tempted. Uh, makes it a little easier to avoid them if we know Satan's game plan and know how he's going to come at us. Uh, we just got to watch out for those three things and make sure we combat them and uh, don't give in to lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. All right, Toby, I think we got time for one more. Yep, a viewer asked the question, were there any other humans or any other beings before Adam and Eve? Well, the answer to that is no, <laughs> not according to the Bible. Uh, the Bible only speaks of human beings and uh, they, uh, human beings, mankind, uh, was created in God's own image. The only part of creation uh, created in God's image and, and breathed life uh, by God Himself. Uh, and certainly the Bible does not speak of uh, other beings, alien life forms or anything like that. Uh, so according to the Bible, no, there's no other uh, beings, human or otherwise, uh, before Adam and Eve. And uh, we just go all the way back nearly to the front uh, page or two of your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Uh, so that's the answer biblically is that, you know, there were just nothing uh, else uh, before or since uh, created much like Adam and Eve. We're a special creation given dominion and made in God's <coughs> image and given an eternal soul. So, good question. And that's how the answer is found, Genesis chapter 1. All righty. Now let's make sure we get a trivia question answered today. And it was about a riddle, uh, Samson's riddle. Where was the honey? Well, the answer is pretty quickly given. It's in the lion's carcass. But if you don't know that story, it's actually kind of interesting. Uh, Samson was kind of a rascal. He, he fought with the Philistines all the time and liked to stir up trouble. And he went down to a wedding feast in Philistia, which he shouldn't have done, but he did. And on the way he saw a lion, a dead lion, and some bees had made a hive in it. And there was honey in there, so he got some honey to eat. And when he got there to pick on the Philistines, he said, I got a riddle for you. And if you can get it, I'll give you 30 sets of clothes. And uh, they said, okay. And he said, here's his riddle in Judges 14. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Well, that's kind of a silly riddle, but uh, <laughs> they couldn't figure it out. Well, actually, they got Delilah to tell them. So they, 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 they tricked him too. But he was out of the lion with something to eat and uh, something sweet. So that's where the honey came from. And uh, 
that riddle's not much good for anything. Most <laughs> kindergartners won't get that one. But anyhow, it's interesting. We're glad you were with us this week, and we invite you back next week to know your Bible. Till then, have a blessed week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.